Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the O'Melveny Podcast. We're going to have a great show today. Today, we'll hear from some of our pro bono and corporate social responsibility leaders on not only how O'Melveny's pro bono and CSR programs are part of the firm's fabric and help drive everything that we do here, but also how law students can distinguish between different firms' pro bono programs. We'll also hear again from Deanna Rice, a counsel and uh, a guest on our very first episode, uh, who will shed some light on the types of pro bono work available to our lawyers at, at all levels. So without further ado, I'll hand things over to our CSR director, Rochelle Carr. Thanks, Alan, for that nice introduction. My name is Rochelle Carr, and I'm the Director of Corporate Social Responsibility and Alumni Relations at O'Melveny and Myers, and I'd like to have Jerry Schick introduce herself. Hi, my name is Jerry Schick, and I'm the Pro Bono Counsel at O'Melveny. I'm in our New York office. And Deanna. And I am Deanna Rice, and I am a counsel in the appellate practice in the Washington, D.C. office. And as you know, we're here today to talk to you about our pro bono program at O'Melveny, as well as our corporate social responsibility department. And maybe, Jerry, you could start us off. I know one question that seems to be top of mind is ways that folks can differentiate between different law firms who have different policies about pro bono. What types of questions can folks ask to actually differentiate one program to the next? Yeah, I think that is a great question. And a lot of law students, I think, are trying to get at that when they are looking at different law firms. And one of the things I think that's important is even just looking at basic policies. Things like, does uh, do all the hours that you'll spend on pro bono count towards your billable hours? And is there any limit on that? Or is there any cap on that? Do they stop counting at any point? That's kind of something basic that you want to know before you go to a firm. You also probably want to know, is there someone who has a position like me? So I'm a, the pro bono counsel, and this is a full-time position. So I'm an attorney, but I do this with 100% of my time. And then we have a second attorney, another counsel. His name is David Lash in our LA office, and he does this 100% of the time. So knowing that there's a structured program that's being run by people who are spending all of their time on just that program, I think is another important factor that you might want to look at. And then you really want to talk to the lawyers at the firm to understand what types of work they do, what types of pro bono work they do. For us, that means we do a a huge variety of work, and there's really no areas that we won't delve into as long as there's no conflict for the firm, which is incredibly, incredibly rare. So, you know, on the litigation side, we're doing appellate work and criminal work and education law and benefits and veterans work and voting rights, I mean, just reproductive rights, anything that you can think of um, that people are interested in, that's what we'll do. And the, the, the attorneys at the firm really drive the types of pro bono we do. And it's very much, you know, a choose your own adventure type of model where people decide this is the kind of thing that I like to do. This is what interests me or I want to get a particular type of experience. So I want to do this type of case. Um, And the same thing on the litigation side is on the transactional side. There's a wide variety of transactional opportunities uh, for people to do for help nonprofits and to help micro entrepreneurs and to do corporate work as well. So that's also a really active part of our practice. And we do work from individual representations to really high impact litigation. So you also want to look at what are the, I mean, really find out what are the types of cases that that firm has handled on a pro bono basis. And like I always say, I I think it's great to talk to the attorneys who do the work. So I mean, I think Deanna, you're the perfect person to give some 
guidance to people about what types of work you do because what's really interesting about your practice you're in the appellate practice and you do actually these really high impact appellate type of pro bono cases that I think you know is is unique among what law firms do on the on the pro bono realm yeah, I've had really great opportunities at the firm uh, to use the skills that I use in my you know, regular chargeable practice um, and combine them with my passions and interests um, to do great pro bono work that overlaps quite a bit. I came to the firm you know, going back to law school with a particular interest in criminal law and procedure, which is something there's not always a ton of in the law firm practice, particularly at the appellate level on the paid side. Um, and from the beginning, started to get involved in pro bono matters, initially working with more senior associates and counsel and partners in the practice and eventually taking on more and more responsibility myself and eventually got to the point where I was basically running these matters with just someone there as a backstop in case I had questions and it's really allowed me to develop my skills. Um, last year I had a case, a merits case granted at the Supreme Court where I had done the cert petition briefing uh, with a team of other attorneys at O'Melveny not really knowing where it was going to lead and we'd been working on this case for many years at this point um, and thought, let's give it a try <laughs> and succeeded. Um, and then when the case was in the Supreme Court, it had been our case all along. And um, so we continued to run with it from there. And I wound up getting to argue the case in the Supreme Court, uh, which I think is a great example of, you know, you never know where things are going to lead when you take on a matter. Um, but if people are really focused on what are they passionate about, what's going to make them excited um, to really dig into a matter figure out the arguments, figure out the way to make their case. Those are really rewarding experiences and sometimes it goes in an unexpected direction. So what year were you when you got to argue? I mean, you argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, which is yeah, When did you get the case? Experience. When did you yeah. get the case and then when did you argue the case? Um, so I personally started working on the case, I want to say I was about a fifth year at the time and other attorneys at O'Malveny had been working on the case for years at that point and had run from a preliminary investigation investigating the claims in the case, that the case involved Brady claims, um, claims that the prosecution withheld evidence at a criminal trial. So initially, people were just trying to figure out what the facts were, what had happened, if there was a possible claim. Then it went to the trial court for a hearing, and there were folks who worked on that for several weeks, and eventually up through the appeals process. Um, and I started working on the case when it got to that appeals level, and it was one of those just happenstance things where they were looking for someone who had some brief writing experience who might be interested and someone wandered into my office one day and asked if I might be interested and I thought that just sounds like the sort of thing that's right up my alley I would love to help um, and dove in and it was probably about two years later um, that the case wound up in the Supreme Court so I was about a fifth year I think when I started working on it and a seventh year when I get to argue it. It's amazing. So can we ask how it turned out? Um, not as not as well as we would have hoped, uh, but we're we're still working with our client um, from the case who's now eligible for parole, and we've been working with him on trying to secure parole. But you know, I think that's just something that comes with the territory in the pro bono space. You know, we get so invested um, in cases, and particularly where you see something that that seems like a real injustice. You tr you try to do big things. Um, for our clients, and sometimes you win, and sometimes you don't. Um, but that's well, you really got to the Supreme Court. So yeah, I'd say you got it pretty far. <laughs> um, but that's just you know, for me, it's it's obviously disappointing. It's always disappointing not to have a win for your client when you think they deserve it. Um, but it's really motivating, and sure. you know, that's 
particularly in the criminal defense space, um, you're not going to win all the time, yeah. <laughs> and that that's just the name of the game. Um, but it's really for me just motivating to keep pushing and taking on new matters. And shortly, shortly after that case wrapped up, I got brought on to another matter um, at the Supreme Court that we worked on in a slightly different. Uh, format with co-counsel who were specialists in the habeas space um, who Melvin uh, lawyers already had a pre-existing relationship with they were working on some other matters um, and they got a case granted and said hey like I know you guys have this appellate practice and a lot of experience and people who are experienced in the Supreme Court I think this would be a great partnership and so we were brought on at a later stage in that case to work collaboratively uh, with them on the briefing and help pre- help them prepare for argument and we just won that case last week um so you Great. so it's you do get the really sweet victories and sometimes it's even a little bit better for knowing um just how much hard work has to go in and a little bit of luck for things to go right so putting on my professional development hat so i used to run professional development as the director here for over 10 years and one thing that we always looked to pro bono for was to get really good opportunities you know, experiences like obviously yours was the ultimate experience in the Supreme Court, <laughs> and we can't guarantee that. Of course, for everyone, everybody gets a Supreme Court argument who <laughs> takes on a pro bono. Guaranteed, so. guaranteed. Um, but in terms of professional development, I think that pro bono, at least the way that we looked at it on the professional development and the training side of the firm, was that this was an opportunity to get a lot of early experience and to grow professionally in very profound ways at a very junior level at the firm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that what's also important about O'Melveny is that that's how the partners see it. So that when, and Deanna, like your case is the quintessential case of this. When that case goes to the Supreme Court, there really wasn't any question. It doesn't sound like that you were the one who is going to argue it. And I think the same thing happens when someone's working even on smaller cases that are, but maybe they're going to trial or going to a hearing, and the partners will look to that as an opportunity for the associates and counsel on the case. You know, this is your case, you're the one who's going to do this argument, I'm going to help prep you, we'll give you support, we'll give you supervision, but this is your opportunity to X, whatever it is, to take this deposition, to make this argument, to argue this motion, whatever the stand-up experience might be. And the same thing honestly goes on the transactional side. Um, Today we heard, uh, we were talking with Janae Cheetah, who's one of our transactional partners, and he was talking about the incredible experience that corporate associates get when they're negotiating their own deals. And they're the ones that are sitting across the table from some other big law firm attorney doing the negotiation of uh, the merger agreement or, you know, whatever the, the transactional instrument is. I mean, they're really getting that experience. So that's how it's really seen. And so part of the choose your own adventure is not just choosing the type of case you want to work on, but maybe the type of experience you want to get. And our work advisors see it that way too. So they want to encourage associates to you you need you need to get deposition experience. You're your third year, whatever it is, and it would be a good idea for you to take some depositions and those opportunities just aren't available right now on your commercial cases. Okay, take a pro bono case where you get deposition experience. And we have program we have a, a special training program that we have, a deposition pro bono training program here in New York where we will actually train attorneys on how to take depositions, do a skills training here, and then connect it with the program we do with the um, with the city of New York where we take depositions on behalf of the city through a pro bono program. So people can do the skills training, get trained up. The partners in our firm are the ones helping do that training, giving people live feedback on mock depositions, and then they take that training and 
apply it directly into the depositions. They take like 10 depositions through this program. So it's a great way to get really tangible experience that people can then take and say, I got this great experience. Now I'm on this commercial case and I'm ready to take a deposition because I've already taken 10 of them. You know, we had a similar, so another hat that I used to wear at the firm, I guess I've worn many hats here, um, as a, as a uh, labor and employment associate, I, was, <laughs> I, I practiced for five years, and one of the things we did in, this was in the Los Angeles office, and I know Newport and Century City participate as well, as we participated in the trial advocacy prosecution program. Right, that's another and, great program. I mean, it was one of the reasons that drew me to the firm in the first place, was that as a first year, as a second year, I was going to be in court. Know, do, you know, working on misdemeanor trials and taking cases that otherwise would have had to have been dismissed because they simply didn't have um, the the labor, the, the workforce to, to move forward with them. And it gave us the opportunity to literally, as a first year, as a second year, first chair with partner supervision, of course, but first right. chair a trial with a jury, with a judge, all of, I mean, exactly the same as you would um, a large-scale commercial case. And to get that early experience as a first year as a second year was something that um, I thought was really valuable. It was a huge draw for me um, to come to the firm. Yeah, you know, and, and another thing I think that we're doing more, and this is this is somewhat, I don't want to say new, it's been several years now at least that we've been doing it, but pro bono is often uh, now an opportunity to do business development because now we're working with our commercial clients on pro bono matters, meaning we're partnering up with them, we're working with in-house counsel, and Sometimes it's to do a clinic together. Maybe we'll do an immigration clinic or an intake clinic of some sort. Or in some cases, we have full-fledged representation that we do with side-by-side with in-house counsel, co-counseling with them. So now it's not just an opportunity to get this great experience and to follow your passions and to get professional development, but now you're actually able to network with a commercial client, and especially for... I mean, the partners love this. And so it's even a great, it's kind of the new golf. It's a great opportunity (laughs) for them to connect with their clients. But if you're a junior associate or a mid-level and you're trying to figure out how am I supposed to start doing business development when I'm at this stage of the game, this, your pro bono cases and working on these kinds of projects is a great way to do that. So that I feel like is, is somewhat, you know, relatively new to the scene and is also kind of another opportunity that's opened, a kind of a door that's opened by by pro bono is, is networking. And they're hungry for it too. I mean, Absolutely. what I'm finding, and I also um, oversee our alumni program at the firm, but I find alumni who are now in-house who come to me and say, can you get us pro bono work? We right. have a bunch of lawyers in our in-house department who used to do pro bono when they were at their firm. We don't have access to those opportunities anymore. It's a great team building opportunity for us, especially if it's around a cause that we as a company believe in. And can we, O'Melveny, provide that for them? And I mean, it's a no brainer because we have so many pro bono opportunities you know, coming in from, from every different angle. Right. So there's a lot of wins, I think, when you have the professional development win for the lawyer, um, you have the you know, early experience that the clients really appreciate when the commercial clients appreciate right. hiring someone who has early experience. You have alumni who are staying connected to the firm through our pro bono work. Um, 
And I think just the experience for the individual lawyer, and obviously, first and foremost, the experience for the pro bono client who has, you know, all of the resources of O'Melveny at their disposal. Right, exactly. And I, and I, I, I feel like all that's exactly true. And what I, and I do really love the work that we're doing with clients. And it's interesting because I do it more on the pro bono side. So we do these legal projects with the clients. We're all kind of doing legal work. But I feel like I'm going to ask you about one of your other hats, Rochelle. <laughs> I have many, many hats, With apparently. the 50 hat. Um, and so, but one of your hats is running our CSR program. And to me, that's something I've actually learned about because not many law firms, I don't really know of maybe, I don't even know, maybe one or two others who actually have CSR programs. And so because we've been able to work together, I'm doing, you know, kind of the pro bono piece and you're doing the CSR piece, but we're both working with clients. So I think it'd be really interesting to hear from you about more about what we're doing with our clients on the CSR side and kind of how that is different from pro bono. Sure. Thanks, Jerry. So the the CSR program, I would have to say at O'Melveny is is truly a labor of love. Um, as I mentioned, I've been here a long time. I've been here 18 years. So I got to work with Warren Christopher as, you know, when I was, I think I was the interim director of diversity when someone was on maternity leave and I got to work with Chris. And what came from that work with Chris and sort of the DNA that is O'Melveny and the culture and the everything that really O'Melveny stands for. Is, and I was very blessed because CSR was something that the firm had been doing for over 100 years. This isn't something that I waltzed in and said, hey, we should start doing corporate social responsibility efforts more in our community. We were already doing it. We were actually doing it quite well, which was also lucky for me, um, taking over the program. Um, but where I thought we could um, maybe serve our communities better would be by organizing our efforts. So bringing together, for example, the community involvement committees in every office to share with each other their best practices um, by doing what... I just came across this article the other day that I loved that McKinsey put together. It's called Smart Partnering. And it, the concept, and it's about CSR, and the concept is is there's CSR programs that are fine and good and make some people feel good, and then there's CSR programs that are truly strategic. And, you know, the feel-good programs are more like, you know, we joke around in my CSR consortium, it's like sweaters for squirrels. You know, it's <laughs> it's the CEO's passion project, and everyone's going to get together and do Some the... squirrel needs sweaters. sweaters, I'm sure. Very chilly. They, do have, they have their fur coats. Um, but it's the pet project. You know, oh, we did CSR, we did a sweaters for squirrels run, and it's the CEO's pet project or the chair's pet project. So that's sort of just CSR on one end of the spectrum versus the strategic side of the spectrum. And that's really what, you know, when we were building the CSR program at O'Melveny, we wanted to look very deeply at what specifically a law firm could bring to the CSR equation that's unique and special about a law firm. And we were able to look back at our over 100 year history of all of the different ways that we've touched our communities and really boil those down to three, we call them our CSR pillars. So the first pillar is access. The second pillar is diversity and inclusion. And the third is environmental sustainability. And on the access front, I mean, we've talked a lot today about um, pro bono and, you know, we're hand in hand working alongside our pro bono teams, our diversity teams. But access to justice is something that as a law firm, of course, that's that's going to be something we care deeply about. Um, access to healthcare is another and access to education is really the third piece of, of the access pillar. And what we try to do, and the back to the McKinsey concept of smart partnering, is to try to identify something that we believe in at O'Melveny, that we feel strongly about, and that we have the resources to support, 
And then we'll look for others to partner with. And that may be, you know, Mayor Garcetti on hiring 10,000 veterans in Los Angeles and using our connections to work with Mayor Garcetti to make that happen. Um, That may be um, identifying with um, some of our banking clients, with the veterans on Wall Street to be able to say, hey, this is another veteran push. Let's use our resources as a law firm. Let's make introductions. Let's work with Operation Gratitude, you know, Operation Gratitude was founded by an O'Melveny partner. You know, let's have um, let's have a deeper reach into our communities and let's bring our clients along so that the impact that we're having, it's not just one law firm doing great things. It's not just one law firm and one nonprofit doing great things. And I think that to be able to have a bigger impact by looking strategically at what you're trying to accomplish and looking at who else can be part of that effort so that the outcome is where you want it to be. So that's kind of CSR in a, I guess, a kind of a large nutshell, back to the squirrel squirrel analogy. (laughs) Well, one thing, one question we often get is, how do you balance? How do you, when it's all nice and good, law firms talk a good game about all the pro bono, all the pro bono, but how do you know when it's too much and how, and when do the firms start clamping down saying, yeah. you know, you've done too much pro bono? Well, I'm, I'm going to first throw it to Deanna, sorry, but I feel like, because <laughs> the best, I feel like, because I have my own thoughts about it, which yeah. I'm happy to, to give and provide, but I feel like from coming from the side where you actually have to deal with those balancing issues is, and you've been doing it for a while is, is, and different levels, you know, you probably, how you dealt with it as a junior might be different how you deal with it now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, anything in a law firm, anyone balancing a workload, you have to juggle multiple matters. That's, um, pretty much how it always is. That's always been my experience, particularly in the appellate practice area. Um, and pro bono is just another piece in that same puzzle. And honestly, for my purposes, they're just another case on the slate of cases I have going on at any particular time. Sometimes they're some of my favorite cases <laughs> um, because I get really invested in them and can be really interesting issues and great you know, opportunities to really take a leadership role on cases. But it's finding a balance. You know, There will be times when I had this case in the Supreme Court and that was my primary focus for several months and the firm was really flexible and other people in my practice group supervising partners and all of my other matters were really understanding, recognized it was important, recognized it was a great opportunity for me and said, let's figure out the way to make this work. And if we have to shift a couple things around to make that happen, we'll make it happen. Because as we were talking about earlier, everyone recognizes the great value there is in these opportunities for associates and counsel at the firm to, to take on new roles in cases that the opportunities don't come up very often um, on the chargeable side. Um, but that sometimes means, you know, later in the year, if I've spent most of my time for three months on a pro bono matter, maybe I won't like take one on immediately, though actually I came up with <laughs> another great opportunity just a few months later after I thought I was going to be on a pro bono fast for a few months so I could get up, caught up on other matters and want to diving right back in just because I love the work and it's so interesting um, these opportunities pop up I'm, I'm a big believer in when you see an opportunity to do something you really care about you're really excited about like find a way to make it work um, and, and I think the Supreme Court and I, th- and, I think, <laughs> and, and I think it's such a great example because that's not a case that when someone came to my office and said do you want to work on this? And there was really not 
any of the traditional signs um, that I would look for if I was saying, like, what's a case that might be on its way to the Supreme Court? I mean, it was a very important issue and a somewhat high-profile case, but it didn't have those traditional, oh, there's a, you know, three, three circuits on this side and four circuits on that side legal issues split. It was, in some ways, like a very fact-intensive case, which isn't something you should ever be putting your chips on uh, if you're hoping to get to the Supreme Court. But, you know, thing, things take their own path. Um, and I think if you find that whatever the subject matter, you know, for me, I'm really interested in criminal law and procedure. For somebody else, it might be immigration. Um, whatever your particular passion is, some people do family law. Um, if it's something you're really interested in, you'll, you'll naturally, I think, find the way to make the balance and find the way to make it work. Um, Sometimes it's skill set based too. Like I remember yeah. wanting just stand up experience as a junior lawyer, and I took on this little itty bitty unlawful detainer action, which then grew into this whole. We as we later learned a whole pattern of abuse by this very uh, notorious slumlord in Los Angeles, wow. and we took it on and ended up filing an affirmative lawsuit against him on behalf of all of the victims who were being subjected to the same unlawful behavior, and ended up being a trial. And I mean a full on trial as a relatively junior associate team handling it, you know, you just never really know if you're following your passions kind of where it's going to lead you. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and I think, you know, it, particularly in the context of O'Malveny, if you, if you go to a partner on some of your billable work and say, you know, I have an opportunity to do a trial in a pro bono matter, I, I can't believe any partner would say, you should pass that up to do your <laughs> right. other work. They're excited for people to have the opportunity to develop their skills because it makes you marketable to clients, too. They can mm-hmm. say, you know, we have a third-year associate on this case, but let me tell you what she's done already. Yeah. I mean, any client's going to be excited to have someone on their team who has so much experience, and it's a big selling point on the charitable side, too. Yeah, All right, Jerry, exactly. I can tell you have thoughts on yeah. how much, how much bono, pro bono is too much pro bono. No, not at all. I think, I, I do, th- I mean, I agree with everything that's been said, and I think that it is very individualized, and it, it has everything to do with what's already on your plate, What and you have to think of the balance. If you, you know that this is, the law firm's a business, you're there to do work for commercial clients primarily, even though we have a great pro bono program and there's a lot of leeway there to do a lot in it, obviously the majority of your work is not going to be pro bono. And if you're billing, you know, 1,100 hours to pro bono and 600 to your commercial work, you know that you're not balanced. (laughs) Um, That's obviously extremely exaggerated. But I think that people have a natural sense of when they're coming out of balance. And I think it's fine, like your example so good, Deanna, because I feel like sometimes you do have that big case where you have a trial or you have something really big going on in your pro bono case and it takes a lot of your time. And then you kind of, you know, maybe say, okay, this year was a very heavy pro bono year. I'm not going to dig into anything really huge for a little while. I'm going to take a little pro bono break or I'll do something kind of small and not do something that's going to take 500 hours because that it's probably isn't the time to do that. So I think, I think the firm basically trusts that people are going to exercise their own judgment just like they do in their commercial work. Um, and I think communication is also a really big part of it. You really need to communicate well with the people on your commercial cases, on your pro bono cases, so everybody knows what you have coming up. So that if you do have a motion or a hearing coming up or something in your pro bono case, the people on your commercial case should know about that way ahead of time so that it's on everybody's radar 
and it won't actually, people are prepared for it if it's going to conflict with something happening on your commercial case. So I think there are a lot of things that people can do individually to avoid situations where you really feel like you have some kind of conflict or you're really put in a bad spot. And it really happens very rarely. And then if you ever do get into that position for whatever reason, there is lots of people you can go to. And when that occasionally happens, people will come to me. I can talk to the different partners and people on their cases and basically work it out, just like you'd work it out if you had two commercial cases that got busy at the same time, which absolutely happens. And people just have to kind of negotiate people's time and figure it out. So I think it's more, I think it's more a theoretical problem that people worry about than a practical one that really comes up as, as an issue when, when you're actually at a firm. I think people worry about it more than it really happens. And I can tell you mm-hmm. from the other side of things when, so I sat on the associate review. Which hat is this? <laughs> this was back <laughs> in the 15 <laughs> yeah. the director, director of professional development hat. I got to sit in on associate reviews with the review committee and actually look at how the associates are evaluated and you know, read their self-reports and and look at their hours and I can tell you from you know behind that curtain the pro bono hours are looked at just the same as the commercial billable hours right. for purposes of evaluation for purposes of professional development are you hitting your um, developmental goals are you hitting a reasonable number of hours all of those things the pro bono hours are not looked at any differently um, you know kind of behind that review curtain as, as to the value and the importance they're treated with equal dignity as a commercial hour for for review purposes um, but I think that that question comes up and I would say that if you are trying to vet a law firm to determine is this pro bono policy well first of all the most important question do you have a corporate social responsibility department <laughs> <laughs> the but the second right. question um, <laughs> in terms of pro bono would be to you know ask that question you know, during a callback interview do you ask that question during an on-campus interview I think it's a fine question to ask to be honest if I'm really thinking what I asked that on on campus versus a callback I probably wouldn't have that as an on-campus question because you just have so little time on an (laughs) on-campus interview (laughs) get your callback Um, you know you can certainly ask and and I do on-campus interviewing and I get all kinds of questions about pro bono and I love them so I don't mean to say you shouldn't ask questions about pro bono and a firm's program kind of more generally when you're at an on-campus interview but that's kind of your chance to get like very big picture stuff about the firm and also a chance to really sell yourself Mm-hmm. as much as possible right. yeah. so you get your callbacks but then in the callbacks you do have an opportunity to ask deeper questions you're meeting with more people you're at the firm you have a lot more time and I think that's a time where you can really dig in a little more with uh, associates just about their pro bono experience how do they balance it do they ever you know run into to issues with that where it really feels like they have too much pro bono and what do they do in those situations I mean I think there's ways to ask that question that are very benign that you'll get really um, interesting answers and it will give you insight I think to how firms handle those issues. Yeah, and I think I think the best way for people to learn about what pro bono is like at a firm is just to ask people what you know. What pro bono right. have you worked on? Have you exactly. had pro bono cases? Can you tell me about what those experiences were like? I think you'll you'll be able to tell if someone's face lights up when you ask about pro bono because right. people who love pro bono really really love pro bono and love to talk about their cases. I think it's a great way to get some insight. And if you ask that question to you know, five different people you meet with in the office, you you should get a really good sense of what the spectrum of the kinds of work people are doing um, and that it's not just one person who has a particularly good arrangement that they're able to do it but whether it really is kind of built into the culture of the firm right yeah I think just in closing that at the end of the day you're going to work hard if you're going to a big law firm you're going to work hard you're going to have long hours it's going to be very intense I mean no matter which law firm you go to 
but there is a factor. I mean, I've been here 18 years, so there is a factor. So take that with a grain of salt. With the 50 hats. <laughs> yeah, with lots of hats. But there is a, an important happiness factor and a culture factor and really spending the time, I think, to dig deep and try to unearth what is the culture like? What are these people like who I'm going to be spending all this time with? Um, and really kind of digging deep and being comfortable to dig deep to try to unearth that culture and I think at O'Melveny, if you're digging deep on pro bono, if you're asking questions about corporate social responsibility, if you're asking, you know, do you have a community involvement committee? Do you give back to your communities? You know, you do tell us more about your pro bono program. And I think we've given some good examples of questions to really vet, is this a pro bono program on paper? Or is this actually something that's organic to the firm and is part of the culture and is the everyday understood practice? Um, and I mean, I think asking those questions, you kind of owe it to yourself to figure out the culture before you sign up to, to be a part of the firm. I think that's absolutely true. And I, I really do feel like at O'Melveny, I, I, I feel like the pro bono is sewn into the culture of the firm, the fabric of the firm, in the history of the firm. It's in, you know, the the very first founders of the firm were also founders of the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles. I mean, these things are have been going on at the firm. You have the... Christopher, you know, I mean, the Warren Christophers, the, you have people here who have always done it and it has always been a part of what the firm does. So it just never really goes away. And there are certainly things the firm has done that I think are wonderful. And I've happened to have been a part of some of them to improve the structure around it, to formalize it more, to make it easier for people. All of those things are really, really important, but you can't ever replace or fabricate the actual history of just you know that commitment has always been there I just think it's who the firm is and it just can't be you know taken away and I, I don't think it's it's hard to kind of manufacture that I think that's just always and I also think what one of the other unique things it's really supported from the top and maybe part of that comes from the long history that the firm has had but it's it's genuinely supported from the top you know maybe that's what's the special and unique thing is that it's grassroots and it's top-down culture that's just, it just is. See? Yeah. We just, yes, that is it. I think that's absolutely right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, Deanna, Jerry, and I are here for you. And thanks so much. Thank you. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion on pro bono and CSR. Uh, stay tuned for some great discussions upcoming on the O'Melveny podcast. podcast.